Whether you're in the pulpit or in the pew, all believers are called to be in the ministry. That's what we'll hear today on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. I'm Steve Schwetz, and as the Bible bus pulls up to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to see that regardless of our gifts or positions in the church, we are all workers together in the Lord. So hop aboard and grab your seat, and while you do that, I want to share a couple of letters from listeners of our Spanish-language broadcasts who live here in the United States. There's quite a few of them. First is a note from Julian in California. God bless you, my brothers. For about 25 years, I've listened to this wonderful program. Through your teaching, I came to know the Lord, and year after year, you have helped me keep my faith and grow in my understanding of God's holy word. Although it's been many years, I still am overwhelmed that God has allowed me to be a new creature and to be found blameless before him. What a blessing it is to be reminded of his goodness each time I hear your voice. Next, we hear from Elbin. I am a Honduran living in New Jersey. Wow. Each morning, I turn on my computer and have the pleasure of listening to you. I started listening to you through a friend. We used to listen to the program while working. I enjoyed your teaching so much that when I changed positions, I began to listen on my own. I have no words to thank you for your time and the dedication you put into teaching the Word of God. I can tell you that thanks to God and His mercy, I am now His child. I still make many mistakes, and there are many behaviors that I have to change, but slowly I'm getting closer to God. Thank you for helping me know Him. With God in my heart, my life makes sense. Along with this email, I send a big virtual hug and my gratitude for your faithfulness. What an encouraging letter. I love Elvin's enthusiasm for God's Word, don't you? Here's a note. This one's from a listener named Ingrid. My husband and I listen together, and then at breakfast, I speak of your teaching with my two children, a boy age six and a girl two years old. I tell it as a story, and every day they beg for more. Sometimes I bring the Bible with me to continue the story. Since we've started sharing, my sons say that the book he wants to read is the Bible, and he wants to listen to your programs with me. I pray he always will be this thirsty for God. So thank God for the program and everyone who works on it. May he continue blessing and using you so that his word will be known by many, even little children. Our final note comes from Geneva. Glory to God. Your messages have reached me at the perfect time in my life. I am willing to repent and to follow the Lord Jesus. The message of the cross has transformed my heart, my mind, and my prayer life. Well, what's your story? As Greg and I mentioned earlier this week, we'd love to tell the stories of God's goodness, grace, and mercy in our lives. So would you share yours by emailing BibleBus at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now let's bow our heads and give this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, like Ingrid, we pray that your word will be known by many, those living near and far, the very young and the very old. As it's heard today, Lord, may our knees bow and our hearts be humbled at the name of Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of 2 Corinthians 6 on Through the Bible. Now, friends, we come today to the sixth chapter of 2 Corinthians, and we come now to that chapter that we've labeled God's comfort in all circumstances of the ministry of Christ. And we have set before us here the requirements of a good minister of Jesus Christ. And none of us can read this without saying again who is sufficient for these things. None of us could meet this high standard. We'll be looking at that 
But I want you to notice that we're still in the section of God's comfort, the comfort of God, chapters 1 through 7. And we've been now in God's comfort in the ministry of suffering. First, it was God's comfort in the glorious ministry of Christ, chapter 3. Then in the ministry of suffering for Christ, the ministry of martyrdom for Christ, And now God's comfort in all circumstances of the ministry of Christ, the all-round minister. Let's look at this for just a moment, and we see presented to us here the one who is an ideal minister. Now, let me read. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, you will notice that in your translation that with him is in italics, and it should be we then as workers together. And we need to recognize that there's another line that is made today that needs to be rubbed out, and that is the line between clergy and laity. There are certain ones given the gift of teaching. And if I have any gift, it'd have to be that, because if I can't claim that one, I don't have any. But the thing is that there are those that are called to teach and those to be pastors, those to be missionaries. And then there are others that are called into a relationship. They're all given a gift, but we would term that the laity, the pulpit and the pew. And there ought not to be the distinction that we make between the two. We're workers together. If you're sitting in the pew, if you are listening today, you're as responsible to get out the Word of God as I am. I've just probably been given a little different gift, but you may be today a bank president, and you may be the president of a large corporation. You may be a truck driver. You may be just a housewife. But honestly, you are responsible to get the Word of God out fact of the matter is, we today need to recognize God's given to the church certain men that'll teach, certain men that will act as pastors, certain men that have other gifts that are used for the work of the ministry. That is, to equip the believers to serve. Now, let me again repeat this, because it came to me some time ago from a very good friend of mine, Dr. Earl Rodmacher up here in Portland, Oregon. He's president of the Western Baptist Seminary, I think one of the coming men of the country today. And he made this statement. He said, shepherds do not produce sheep. Sheep produce sheep. A great many people think the preacher is to win all the people for Christ. That's his business, or the evangelist. May I say to you, that's your business. God has given teachers and preachers and evangelists and missionaries, all of these, to fill out and prepare the body of believers, that is, those that are the ministry, and the ministry of those sitting in the pew, that they might be equipped to go out and witness. The shepherd, you see, doesn't produce the sheep. He feeds sheep, and he watches over sheep. He shepherds sheep. But He doesn't produce sheep. He can't. The sheep produce sheep. And today, the whole work of the church is bogged down because the sheep are not out witnessing. They are the ones that should be out 
witnessing today. And I want to raise the question again. I'm being very personal these past few times. What are you doing today to get the Word of God to others? Now, actually, there's some of you that can do something that I can't do and no preacher in the country can do. You know what that is? There's some people got confidence in you, and they wouldn't listen to me five seconds. But they will listen to you. A word from you would cause them to listen. And we find that there are people being led to Christ today because somebody talked to them about listening to the program. And I know that there are some folk that will put an ad in their local paper. We are not able to do that. That's not our method. But we found out that that happens. And I hear from time to time so many things that people are doing to get people to listen to the Word. I know one man, he's a very fine businessman. Honestly, he can't speak. That is, oh, I mean, he can talk, but he's got some sort of an impediment. And he's a prominent businessman. And it's quite flattering for him to knock on the door of maybe one of his workers one evening and bring a tape and bring a machine that plays it, comes in and visits and said, just like you listen to this. And believe me, I guess that's subjecting them to a great deal of torture, but it's sure witnessing. You see, friends, we're workers together. We're workers together. And he says, I beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, how do you receive the grace of God in vain? Well, this is the way. What response are we making today to the love of his heart? God today has been showering his goodness and his mercy on us. And to receive his great goodness and to rejoice in the salvation of the grace of God and yet to live carnal, worldly lives, that's what it means to receive the grace of God in vain. That is something that we need to recognize. It's important to see that. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, And in the day of salvation have I succored thee, I've helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now, a great many people, they say, well, I won't accept Christ now. I will do it some other time. They'll postpone it. And a great many folk like to say this, well, I'm going to wait till a certain evangelist comes to town. And there are a lot of people do that. Many pastors have told me that or I'm going to wait until we have a meeting. Now, I don't know who you are, where you are, how you are right now. But if you're not saved and you're listening, for you, now is the accepted time, right now. Not tomorrow, not when you hear some greater preacher or hear some great message. We're just listening right now. Now is the accepted time, right now. I don't know what time it is, When you're listening to this program, because all of our stations, it's different. But you look at your clock. Whatever time that clock says, that's it. That's the time for you. Now is the accepted time. Well, somebody says, can I accept it tomorrow? Well, yes, but you have no promise of it. But the important thing is, God says it's right now. And it's not now and never, but right now. Now, will you notice, he says, giving no offense. This is verse 3 in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now, we need to be very careful of our personal behavior. Giving no offense. 
in anything. Now, offense here doesn't mean hurting people's feelings. I do not believe that any pastor today can serve long in a church without hurting the feelings of someone. Some folk are there for no other purpose than to get their feelings hurt. Actually, you can't be pastor of a church long until somebody gets their feelings hurt. You know, you hear the old saying, they carry their feelings on their sleeve. Well, a lot of the saints do. And it goes something like this. If you do not shake hands with them, you probably intended to slight them. If you do, you hurt them forgetting that they got rheumatism or arthritis. And if you stop to speak with them, you're interrupting them. But if you do not, well, you're being proud (laughs) and you're being a little snooty. And if you write them a letter, well, they know that you're after their money. And if you do not, well, you're neglecting them. And if you visit them, you're just bothering them, hindering them from their work. And if you do not, well, it shows you don't have any interest in your church members. It's impossible, my friend, to please them all. Down in a little restaurant in West Texas, and I forget the name of the town, my wife and I stopped there early one morning for breakfast. We'd driven, I think, 200 miles that morning, and we were hungry, and we went in, and it was just a little dumpy place, but I had a good Texas breakfast, I can tell you that, including grits and hot biscuits. And when I went to pay the bill, there was a sign up there, and I'll never forget it. Maybe many of you have seen it many times, but it was new to me that morning, and it made my day. It said, you can't please everybody, but we try. I think many pastors probably ought to put that on their steady door, or even maybe at their home. We can't please everybody, but we try. Now he has three sets of nine different things that should characterize the ministry. And they're quite interesting. And I'm probably going to move through this rather hurriedly. Will you notice what he says here? Verse 4 now, "...but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God." Now, how do we do that? In much patience. That's number one, in much patience. And believe me, that bowled me over at the very first one. And I'll be very frank to admit to you, that's something I've always lacked. And my wife says to me, and my best friends say this to me, Vernon McGee, if you ever preach a sermon on patience, I'm going to walk out because I don't think you're the fellow to speak on patience. So you know what? In case some of them are listening, I'm not going to talk on patience. But that's number one here. In second, in afflictions. That is something that a great many men today in the ministry have to bear. And I'm of the opinion that most know what we're talking about in necessities. A great many folk who didn't come through the Depression or were born in a poor home. I've seen the time when I was a boy that there was not one dollar bill in my home. And if it hadn't been for the fact the grocer would sell us grocers on credit, we would have gone hungry. Many a time I've had nothing in the world for supper, the evening meal, but just a glass of sweet milk, and we'd crumble biscuits, cold biscuits in it. And do you want to know something? I still think that's good. That's better than a lot of French pastry, and I think it'd be lots better for me 
if I tried more of it. But every now and then I crumble an old biscuit when I can get one in some cold, sweet milk. And friends, that's really angel food, let me tell you. But some of us know about that, others more than others. Dr. Ironside tells about the time that as a young preacher, he preached one time in a place three days and didn't have a thing to eat in that three days. He says that he was preaching to a group of people that thought that Dr. Ironside was living by faith, and they sure did let him do it. So nothing came in for food. And then one morning, he was debating whether to stay in bed for breakfast or to tighten up his belt again for breakfast. But he noticed a letter being slipped on the door, and he got up and opened it, and all it said was an expression of Christian fellowship, and there was a $10 bill in it. And he said that morning, he went out and had the best breakfast he ever had in his life. Well, there are a great many men today know what afflictions are. But this new generation, they don't know. That's what's made the generation gap. When I try to tell my daughter, even though she's married, about the depression, she says, Dad, I don't even know what you're talking about. And they don't. In afflictions and in necessities and in distresses and in stripes. And I have a notion very few of us know what physical stripes are, but my, we've been cut across the face many times by some insulting remark made by some pious saint that makes it in a very pious voice, you know. The very interesting thing was that I used to have a dear lady, and she had a sharp tongue, and she'd always go out of an evening after the evening service, and she'd say to me, Pastor, you had a wonderful service this morning, a wonderful sermon this morning. Well, what about the evening sermon? And I told a friend of mine, I said, according to her, I can preach a good sermon in the morning, but I can't preach a good one at night. That was a nice way, you see, in a very pious way. She had a saying to me, Preacher, get with it. You're not doing so well of a Sunday evening. That's the way some you know, hit a minister across the face. And then we have here in labors and tumults and in imprisonments and in watchings and in fastings. Now, those are nine things there, my friend, that should be the thing that would identify the minister. Maybe not all of them, but certainly most ministers know what most of these things mean. Now we have a second set of nines, Number one is by pureness. And believe me, it's important that a minister be pure in his life. There's one thing that hurts the ministry today, the fact when one minister turns up as a bad egg, and when he does, and found guilty of immorality, it hurts the ministry. Pureness is important, and it's still not old-fashioned. You may be a square. I may be a square for saying it. But it's still good, and by knowledge. And knowledge here, I think, means not only the Word of God, but also preachers should know a great many things. He should, I think, keep himself abreast of the times in which he lives by knowledge and by long-suffering. And here that comes up again. Long-suffering is patience, just in another suit of clothes. By kindness and by the Holy Spirit. And God have mercy 
on any of us preachers who try to preach without the Spirit of God leading us and guiding us. That's the thing I'm more concerned about than anything else. And in the 21 years I was pastor in downtown Los Angeles, I followed many great men. And I always thought of Dr. Tari, the great evangelist of the past, who was the first pastor of that church. And when I would go out, the last thing I would say, Oh, Lord, this morning, help me to preach in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Vernon McGee by himself, friends, isn't very much, and not compared to those men. But by the Holy Spirit, and then by love unfeigned. And this is something today that's needed, a love that's genuine, not pious pretenders quoting pious platitudes and these phony professors of faith, always telling you how much they love you, and then put a knife in your back. And we've got a lot of so-called saints and their ministers like that today. Love unfeigned, genuine, real, because the Spirit of God put it in our hearts. Oh, this is so important we're talking about. And by the word of truth, and that word of truth means the preacher ought to know his Bible. And then we go on down and we read by the power of God. And that's important. And by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Well, you notice we come now to another set here. And this is the third set of nines. By honor and dishonor. I would say this gives us a well-balanced ministry. Honor and dishonor. By evil report and good report. Some people are going to say some ugly things about you. But we're to serve, not recognizing that. In other words, a good report can hurt you. Shakespeare has one of his characters say, My friends flatter me, and they cause me to make an ass of myself. And my enemies, they call me an ass, which is the worst. And we have here in evil report and good report. There are those that flatter us, those that say ugly things about us. And as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well known. Oh, my minister God today may not be well known. As dying and behold, we live as chastened and not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich. Anytime you find a preacher that's rich, watch out. We're not supposed to get rich in the ministry. But having nothing, yet possessing all things. You remember Paul said in the first epistle, all things are ours. Christ is ours. Everything is ours today. I'm rich. But I'm poor, too. Oh, you don't know how poor I am. Now, will you notice? And yet possessing all things. And then Paul just cries out here, O ye Corinthians, our mouth is open unto you, our heart is enlarged. Oh, how Paul yearned over these converts of his in Corinth, these little baby Christians, babes in Christ, carnal Christians. But his heart went out to them. Well, we're going to have to leave off there today, and we'll pick right up there next time and go right on from there. Well, we didn't accelerate very much today. We didn't pick up much speed, but we will now toward the end of this epistle. May the Lord richly bless you, my beloved. 
What a great message. If you'd like to spend more time studying the 27 things that characterize good ministry, visit ttb.org forward slash 2 Corinthians. You can also get Dr. McGee's entire five-year study from Genesis to Revelation on our Bible Bus flash drive. To find out about it and the many other great booklets and Bible study resources we have for you, visit the resources section at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help you find something. Of course, all of our programs are available for free streaming or download at ttb.org forward slash programs, all of them completely free just for you. So as we take a quick weekend break from our daily Bible study, I sure hope that you'll join me for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon from 2 Corinthians 2 verse 10 called The Secret Weapon of Spiritual Warfare. This great message is available online as well at ttb.org. It's also available on our app and perhaps by your local radio station we got so much more terrific ground to cover next time. I'm Steve Schwetz, hoping you'll hop aboard as we continue to make our way through the Bible. Jesus made it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?